I want to talk, uh, the first principle, the access principle, is understanding God's word and then applying it to our life. Because the scripture says in the book of James, don't just be a hearer of the word, be a doer. It's a big difference. And too many Christians are hearers only. They go to church, they listen to the word, but they don't apply it to their lives. And, and God is reminding us today, <clears throat> it's not enough to be a hearer. Because a hearer listens to something and then forgets. But a doer applies the principles of God in their life. Lives out the principles of God. And in this increasingly secular society, we need all the more to embrace God's word and be doers of the word. Because it's not just for us. See, if I live God's principles, I get blessed. But if I live God's principles among society, others can see what God is doing in my life and through my life. So it's impossible, or rather, it's important that we live our life in the midst of the people, in the midst of those that are criticizing, in the midst of those that might be angry against quote-unquote church. It's not about church. It's about a relationship with Almighty God through Christ. And if they can see Christ in your life, then they'll say, oh, it's real after all. It's not just a story. This is real. Praise God. But one of the things we understand is that God's word is not just uh, words on a screen somewhere. It is, it's a living being. The Lord Jesus Christ is the living word of God. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 13, the Bible says that his name is called the word of God. See? So the word that you're holding is very important because it has life embedded in it, right? When you take a car and you look at it, it's parked, it's a nice vehicle, beautiful, right? Especially if it's new, it's a car, but it's inanimate. But when you put people inside, right? If the car is empty and somebody by mistake slams into the car, you say, whoa, man, that's terrible. That car is messed up. The insurance is going to have to be called. It's no big deal. Insurance will cover, right? But if there are people inside, suddenly now the ambulance comes in, and, and guess what they do? They take the people out first because it's, the life is what's important. Then later on they'll pick up the car and, and tow it and do whatever they need to do. See? So when you just have mere words, words can be beautiful. They can be precious. You can hear a nice poem, and uh, it can help you. It can, it can encourage you for a moment. But when words are infused with God life, Hallelujah. now it can transform a life. Amen. And this is what most people don't understand about the scriptures. They're God-breathed. They're God-ordained. Yeah, but man wrote the scriptures. Yes, we know over 40 authors wrote different parts of the Bible. And we know it took about 1,500 years to finish the scriptures. Right? But we know also that these men were divinely inspired of Almighty God to share things. Things for their government, things for their community, things in their time frame, you know, the time where they lived in. And other things were precious eternal principles. We also know that there are times you'll read something that God spoke to Moses, and suddenly the Spirit of God will quicken something for your life. You'll read something in Genesis. And God will suddenly quicken. The life of God in that word will suddenly speak to you in your today. Something that Jesus spoke, maybe a beatitude or something like that. And suddenly that thing will come at you. The logos becomes a rhema. 
something generalized, something that was spoken to the whole world becomes a specific word for you. That's the power of God's word. And another thing we know about the word is that it's an anchor for us. Because, and this has been always a concern for me, the more we get away from the scripture, the more we get away from the anchor, the more crazier we become as human beings. Well, look what's happening today. The more we want to fight God, the more crazier we get. We're doing some crazy thing out there. Some crazy things. You know, people ought to be able to do whatever they want to. Of course you can, especially in a country like the United States. We're, we're a free society for the most part. You want to live any way, which way you want to? Fine. But you're still going to pay the penalty. Now, I can smoke it as I, if I want. Of course you can. You can pay, what, how much does it call for a pack now? About 10 bucks? How much? About 13 bucks a pack? My God, some people have been smoking for 20, 30 years, and, and it, it could have been a millionaire by now just, just on cigarettes. You know, it, we, I, I, my mother, she smoked since she was 11. And she was 50 years old. She went to the doctor, and the doctor checked it, you know, checked her lungs out, and said to her, if you don't stop smoking, you'll die within the year. She always, she always told me, I can't, I can't stop smoking. That, that helps my nerves. I said, all right, well, you know, you're going to get sick. That's all right. I'm, I'm good. I could take it. Doctor told you you're going to die within a year. She stopped right then and there. She had a sudden epiphany. She had a revelation, you know. Well, we could do whatever we want. I often tell the tale of, not the tale, this really happened. This came out in the news. These kids would go every day to the neighbor's backyard. Remember that story I tell you? And they would go every single day. And one day they go there, and there's a fence around the pool. And one of the kids says, listen, that, this is not going to stop me. And so the guy jumps over the fence and throws himself in the pool. And what happened was is that they were working on the pool, so there was no water. So without looking, he was showing off to the guy. Oh, he throws himself. He went head first. And he hit himself in the concrete, and so he became paralyzed. So it was then that they realized, and the story went on to say, says that, that's when they realized that the fence wasn't there to keep them from having fun. The fence was there to protect them. And what the scriptures does is it protects us. Because God's the one that created us. Contrary to popular opinion, you didn't create yourself. Right now they're geneticists. They're poking the holes of the egg. And, uh, and they're introducing some crazy things into the eggs. Geneticists are trying to create life. Excuse me, genius. Life's already created. I saw a video the other day of an egg the moment it was fertilized. And they, they had a special spectrometer on it. And as, as soon as the egg was able to penetrate the actual body or that, that covering layer, something happened. And you actually see a little explosion. You, you actually see it lights up. The moment the, the, the egg is fertilized, you, you actually see something happens, a, a catalyst, as it were, on the egg. Huh? It solidifies. Yes. But the point is, is that what they saw was literally a, it, it almost like a light suddenly came on it. It doesn't allow anything else in it. So some are surmising that that's the moment where life takes place. Man doesn't do that. God does that. 
God does that. See, so I'm not, what I'm saying is that we need to get back to the concrete bedrock word of God. Because the further society has gotten away, you, you look throughout history, the further societies have gotten away from God's word, the closer and closer they went to implosion. And we as a nation, we're at a very difficult place. We're at an inflection point. Do we, do we implode or do we come back? And there's so much force. No, we want to do this. We want this. We want this. And everybody, every special party wants their thing. And, and, and unfortunately, we are pushing the boundaries of which we were not created to excel in. Well, I can do whatever I want. Yes, but you're going to pay the price. Right? Well, I want to be this. I want to be that. Well, let me ask you a question. Uh, did you get a revelation that you want to be a person that doesn't need air? Huh? How come we don't do that? See, come on. After a while, we're just insane. We've got to get back to the Word. Say to your neighbor, it's time to get back to the Word. Praise God. Amen. In Hebrews 4.12, the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit, of the joints and marrow, and it's a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight. Notice, it says the word of God is living and powerful. Then it says, and there's no creature hidden from his sight. But all things are naked and open to the eyes of him. How come it's calling the word of God his and him? It's because it's a person. Glory to God. The word of God, living and acting. It's, it's not a dead word. See, most people, they read the scripture like if it was something dead. Like it was just a commentary. It's not a commentary. It's the word of God. It carries weight. It has life. When you catch a promise of God in scripture, you can apply it to your life. And it will activate in your life. That's how come it's important to know the word of God for yourself. Too many Christians, they're Christians in name only. They don't know the word. And if you don't know discipleship, amen. If you don't know the word of God, you don't know God. Because God and his word are one. Amen. Praise God. So when we're going to the scriptures, we're going to God. His word and his thoughts are so closely related that you cannot separate them. If you want to hear God, go to the word. And when you approach the scriptures, you want me to say it again? When you want to go to, when you want to, go to God, go to his word. Because when you're going to his word, you're going to God. So when we approach the scriptures then, we need to approach with reverence. When we go to scripture, you don't read it casually. When you go to scripture, you say, Father, thank you for your word. Speak to me, Holy Spirit. And reverence God and watch the stuff in scripture, the anointing, the grace in scripture come alive in your heart. When you reverence God and his word, you'll receive life. His word is his primary way of contacting us, of speaking to us. Notice Mark 16, 20 also. They went forth and they preached everywhere. What did they preach? I'm going to say it again. What did they preach? They went everywhere preaching, right? Then it says here, they went everywhere, the Lord working with them, confirming the word with signs 
following. You want to see more signs and wonders in your house? You want to see more signs and wonders in your ministry? You want to see more signs and wonders in your family? Allow the word of God to be resident in your home. Because it says here, as they preached the word, the Lord worked with them, confirming the word with signs and wonders following. When you have the word in your life, in your mouth, God will always honor his word. He might not honor your feelings. He might not honor the things you want him to bless. But he will always honor his word. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And then another thing, if you notice, why is it that when the devil comes at an individual, he'll always challenge the word? He won't challenge you. He won't challenge your muscles. He won't challenge your beauty, your youth. He'll always challenge the word. In Genesis chapter 3, what was it that the devil or the serpent said to the woman, to Eve? Hath God really said? He challenged the word. See, so we need to understand that. And what, the, what did uh, Adam and Eve, unfortunately, <laughs> didn't respond with the word. They responded emotionally, they got enticed, and they fell in sin. But the last Adam, when he was challenged in the garden, how did the last Adam respond? It is written. And this is where we fail many times because we're so busy just talking and talking and talking and we speak up a storm, but we don't get anything done. There's no power in many words, but there is power in the word. I'd rather you share one verse than talk to me a whole volume of nonsense. Yeah, praise God. We need, we need to become word-oriented. Once again, it's very vital, especially today. So another thing we need to do is we need to approach God's word knowing that he'll speak to you. Think about it. Do you go to God expecting God to speak back to you? Place God. Quiet up in here. We need to go to God understanding and knowing that he will speak to you. Now, having said that, God speaks to you in various ways. He'll speak to you through his word. Sometimes he'll speak to you in a dream or in a vision. Sometimes he'll speak through, to you through an experience. Sometimes he'll speak to you through one of the uh, church leaders or one of the members. I remember one time I was going through a very difficult time. And I was praying to God right in my living room. And right there I got a phone call. I'm talking to God and I got a phone call. And the person told me they were praying and God said this. And it's exactly what I was asking him. All by my lonesome in the living room. God hears us. See, so when you're talking to God, you need to understand and know that he is listening. Part of the problem is sometimes he responds in a way we don't want him to respond. And since many of us, you know, in this, in this United States are spoiled, we're used to getting everything we want when God says, not yet. We don't like that. 
Or when God says no, we don't like that. Because we want yes all the time. <laughs> Hallelujah. And this is part of the discipline of being a Christian. And that is, we submit to the will and the purposes of God. When, when, Adam, when Adam responded to God in the Old Testament, Adam was very selfish. And basically, he did what he wanted. His will was done in the Old Testament. His will was done in the garden. You know how that worked out, right? And here's our problem. When we choose to do our will over God's will, usually destruction follows. Because we think we know more than God. But when Jesus was challenged with a very difficult situation in the Garden of Gethsemane, and even admitted it, he said it, he says, Father, is there any way that this cup could pass over? Then he says, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So when we acquiesce our will to God's will, then God will work with us and through us. God will promote us. God will work with us, confirming the word with signs and wonders following. And here's another thing that I've come to understand, that I might be a good actor in church. Where's Sister Carmen? I didn't get any ehes here today. Every once in a while, I need a good ehe. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah, we're good actors many times in church. But the truth of the matter is, God knows you. He knows your heart. He knows your struggles. He loves you. He told you when you pray, pray, call me father. And he wants to respond to you as a father. What do parents do with their children when they go out of line? Just straighten them out. Right? But in a loving way. They would straighten them out in a way. I'm talking about parents that, that are screwed on the right way. You know? I'm talking about normal, healthy parents. They'll correct you. Why? Because they love you. My mother told me one time. She says, son, don't touch that iron. Which iron? That oh, okay. I understand why. They don't want you to get hurt. But we don't listen many times to our parents because, of course, we know better. Then once we are plastered against the wall and our parents have to peel us off the wall and then we have to heal us, right? Because we knew better. God is the same way. He'll speak to you and sometimes it's, no, not yet. Wait a little longer. Sometimes God will allow you to go through circumstances that will give you a very difficult, short season of pain. But in that season of pain, you learn things about yourself. You learn things about your future. You learn how to not do it that way any longer again. Hallelujah. Anybody here ever experienced that? And then what I love about God is once he pulls us out of that, he heals us up, and now we walk with him. We're the wiser because now we have the wisdom of God, and we don't repeat the same old stuff, the same old nonsense. Now we walk in his word, and we're even more grateful. Today, I'm much more grateful than I was when I was 30. Because when I was 30, I knew everything. When I was in my 20s, I knew everything. But after I got beat up, you know, in the 30s, and the 40s, and the 50s, I've come to realize some things. See, you know, I wasn't right all those years, and I thought I was right. My preaching has changed also. I'm, I'm more grateful. I, I don't beat up as, on people as much. 
Yeah, because I realize we all go through stuff. We all go through issues. Some of the worst people are the ones that beat up on you that never have gone through it. They don't understand what you're going through. And they're beating up on you until they go through it. Then they become a lot more humbler. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> that's good. But it didn't sound right. You know, just that's what... Yeah, that's, that's the way you really do it. So another thing I realized today, see, see, humility comes when you go through experiences. You know, how many times has Tony, you know, just enjoyed a moment when I've been forced to be humbled here while everybody says something about me and I just got to stand there. Oh, Pastor, I love that humble look on you, right? Today, I saw the same humble look on him. <laughs> And I went, I like that humble look on you. Great humble. I loved it. Appreciate it. Touche. <laughs> when you go through experiences, you won't be as, uh, I don't know, elitist. You know, you won't beat up on people as much. You, you hug them and say, I empathize. I empathize. Another thing about God's word, in Galatians 1.8, it reminds us to remain grounded on his word. Because it says, even though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. In other words, experiences does not really mean that God visited you. There are experiences, situations, dreams, apparitions. Some people actually see apparitions that are not God. So we need to measure it against the word of God. I don't care what a person tells me. I'm going to bring it right to the scripture. In the New Testament, there, were, there was this community in Berea. And Paul came to, he came to teach the word. And so the Bereans would say, what did you say? Well, scripture says this. Okay, hold on a second. They would go to the Old Testament scriptures to verify what Paul was saying before believing what Paul was saying. So they were noble people, and they were wise people. So somebody tells me something in the street, yeah, Scripture is this and this and that. I say, okay, where does it say that? Some people are dangerous enough just to try to get you confused, but they don't really know what they're talking about. They just heard it in the Internet somewhere. Oh, the Bible's not real. The Bible was, it, it, they, were, they found it, and, and 10 people wrote the Bible. And I go, where'd you get that from? Well, I got it off the Internet. I said, that's your problem, dude. If you, if, you, if you study the history, the Bible is not just God's word. It's also a historical book. And it's not even one book. It's 66 books that were put together. You found some books over here, some books over there, and they all agree with each other. Amazing, miraculous. Only God could have put that together. Right? So if you look at history, history confirms that there is a Bible. History confirms that Jesus lived. There were over 500 witnesses, eyewitnesses in Jesus' day that saw him raised from the dead. Or saw him after he was risen from the dead. Because he didn't go up right away. He stayed a couple of days after he was raised up. He manifested himself to the ladies first. They were the first evangelists. Then he, he went to the 12 or the, to the 11, right? And then he went to over 500 people. See, so there's a lot of ample evidence that the scripture is not just a real, living, tangible book. It's not just infused with, with, with God himself. 
it's also historically accurate and historically relevant. So how are you going to fight that when you can actually get a scroll that's like a thousand, two thousand years old and verifies the writings? See, because when you want your way, it doesn't make a difference. The facts is, is what I feel. And that's a dangerous thing. And I don't know if you're seeing that, but today people are bent and allowing their emotions to rule them, even to the point of destruction. Facts no longer matter. Facts no longer matter. And that's a dangerous trend because your emotions can be your enemy. Everything might be all right, and yet you're angry, you're upset. Why? Because I think I, uh, I heard something. And meanwhile, it, you didn't hear anything. Or what you heard was a lie. It's happened to me. A friend of mine comes to me and talks about somebody, and now I'm upset at that person because this guy talked to me. Meanwhile, this guy was wrong. And he wanted somebody to, you know, just to share. And now I'm angry at that person. I don't even know why. I forgot the fact that he told me something. But two weeks later, I go up to him. I, I, I don't even like you. Why don't I like you? I just don't feel like you. I don't even know why. Emotions could be your enemy. And you could even lose friends because of your emotions. There are people in prison today. Lifelong. Because of one moment of emotion. We cannot live our lives emotionally. We have to live our lives scripturally. Sometimes I'm upset. I want to tell somebody off. And scripture tells me I got to have mercy. I got to be forgiving. I say, Lord, can you, can, can you find that verse for me? It says, I could beat him up first. <laughs> yeah, sometimes we can't do what we want to do. But listen. At any given time, Jesus was on the cross. He could have called for legions of angels to come help him. He could have called upon himself immediate healing. And he could have called the destruction of all those that didn't deserve his love. But he stayed the course for you and for me. And there are times where you have to put your motion on the side for the betterment of your family, for the betterment of your future, for the betterment of a job situation. Because you're the grown-up in the room. I'm going to say it again. You're the grown-up in the room. I, I, I don't know if I want to dig a little more in there, but a, the grown-up in the room will put his or her emotion aside to make sure the situation is rectified. He doesn't have to win all the time. She doesn't have to win all the time. The, the, the issue is, what's the best course for this situation? And sometimes it means that you have to almost appear wrong, but you're not wrong and you know it. But yet for the betterment of this, sometimes you have to, you have to discern what's the best course of action. And only adults will do that. And, and I'm not talking about people that are over 18. Because there's 50-year-old babies. Yeah, they're 50-year-old babies. Yeah. See, maturity comes when you accept responsibility. So you could be a 50-year-old baby, or you could be an 18-year-old wise adult. Because the 18-year-old accepted responsibility, whereas the 50-year-old is still blaming the, the parents and blaming this and blaming that, blaming the other. You understand? So when we accept responsibility, we say, God, I want your word in my life. And you start studying the word with a, with a desire to understand God, with a desire to chase after God. God will meet you. God will meet you. He'll start opening up the eyes of your understanding. 
And it doesn't make a difference what age you are. Say amen, Samuel. Samuel was only a baby when he heard the voice of the Lord. Remember, he was a child. He was in the temple. And God calls out to him, Samuel, Samuel. So he runs over to who? To Eli, the priest. Uh, Sir, do you need me? I didn't call you. Go back to bed. So he goes back to bed. Samuel, Samuel. He goes the second time. He goes, "Uh, did you call me? No, I didn't. Samuel, next time you hear that voice, say, "Here here I am, Lord. Samuel, Samuel, here I am, Lord. And then God started speaking to him, gave him a prophetic word that impacted the future even of the high priest. Such a heavy word to such a child. Praise God. And from that moment, he accepted responsibility for his relationship with God as a child. The Bible says no prophetic word that passed through the prophet's mouth fell to the ground. From the moment he was a child, he started uh, accepting responsibility in his relationship with Almighty God. And God worked with him mightily. Wherever he would go, he would shift economies. He would shift the nation. He would speak to the kings. Uh, actually, at one point, God speaks to him and says, go to Jesse's house because I'm about ready to shift the kingdom. Yes. And I need you to speak a word in the natural to fall in line with, uh, with what I've already decided in the heavens. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it's already done in heaven. So he went into the house of Jesse and he said, "Um, let me see your sons. And seven sons came out. Nobody's there. I said, "Uh, God, what's up? This guy looks like a good, this guy looks good. God said, no, no, don't judge that way. I I have a king, but it's not any of these. He said, Jesse, do you have any more sons? He said, yeah, I have one more. He's a young guy. He's out there. He's shepherding. Amazing that the father did not have any respect or trust that this boy could be used of God. The father didn't see the future king in his son. And sometimes God will come into your life and he'll have to preempt what has happened in your family because you're about ready to walk in realms that your family did not understand. And nobody was capable to capture that about you. So God himself has to come into your family and say, by the way, you're destined for greatness. And you've been looking for somebody to affirm you and nobody around you is going to affirm you. But Almighty God will affirm you. That's why you need to enter into a relationship with Almighty God because sometimes you're going to be the hero in your family. You're going to be the champion in your family. And you're the one that has to catch that relationship and then you and God will then come to bring back that change to the family. Hallelujah. Amen. So David... He really didn't have dad to affirm him. He didn't have his brothers to affirm him. Sometimes we're looking for our brothers and sisters to affirm us, and nobody will. It's because they didn't create you. Don't blame them. They just don't know who you really are in God. I remember years ago. Years ago, I was a teenager. I would walk by churches, and I would start crying. I was like 14 years old. I would start crying. I didn't even know why. I, didn't, I had no idea. Nobody taught me about church, about the Lord. I didn't, I, the only Christ I knew was the one in the Catholic church, the one that was really sad, and he was on the cross. That's the only Jesus I knew about. You know, and I knew, of course, when you enter the church, you don't go straight in. You stop at the door. There's some water there. Yes. 
la agua bendita, the holy water, and I had to do this. Yeah, that's all I knew. But I would go to church and I would, I would start crying. And, and, but nobody had taught me anything about the scripture. I even put a little thing together, uh, you know, a couple of private little things, and I, and I even said, I'll never forget it. I clasped it together. I said, this is my piece of God. I was 14 years old. What do you mean, my piece of God? I didn't, what am I doing? I just felt something was calling me. And so my friend calls me to her house. From the, we go to class together. So my friend calls us to, to, to her house. And so we're playing games and cards and stuff like that. And the mother tells her, you know what the Lord said to you? The Lord says you're going to be a pastor one day. What's a pastor? I didn't know anything about God. I didn't know anything about church. But yet God was calling me. You see? My mother didn't tell me anything about it. My father didn't tell me anything about it. My brother didn't tell me anything about it. My uncles and aunts didn't tell me anything about God. God called me. And I remember coming to Saving Faith in Christ at age 15. God spoke to me. Hallelujah. But then I was able to go back and then talk to my mother about Jesus. I was able to talk to my father about Jesus. I was able to talk to my brother about Jesus. So sometimes you're looking for others to fix your situation, yet God says you're the one that's going to start the righteousness factor in your family. You're the one that's going to speak a word in your today that's going to change the past of all the people that have been afflicted with all those issues, all those recriminations, uh, uh, all, all, all those issues that have binded them generationally. You're the one that's going to break the barriers. You're the one that's going to break all of these hindrances. Hallelujah. Are you the one? Are you the one? Praise God. My God, my God, my God. Thank you, Lord. Come on, give him some praise. My God, my God. In Psalms 107, verse 20, it says, He sent His Word and He healed them. We saw that literally manifest in the New Testament. Jesus was sent and He healed men and women in His day. And even to this day, He continues to heal by His power via His Word. Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. In the Old Testament, God spoke through the prophets. But it says, and now, verse 2, in these final days, he has spoken to us through his Son. So the Son of God is the Word of God. The Son of God is the express Word, the living Word. John chapter 5, verse 39. Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, the known teachers of the law in that day, the ones that were supposed to represent God in that day. And he tells them this. Listen, you search the scriptures. Why would they search scriptures? Well, obviously, they wanted to find God, right? They searched the scriptures. They wanted to be able to know the word to teach those that came to him. After all, they were the priests of their day. They were the, the ones that uh, were the ecclesiastical power, so to speak. They, they were the ones you went to if you have a question about God. He says, you search the scriptures. But then he says this, Jesus says this, yet the scriptures are the ones that testify of me and point to me. 
See? If you go to the scriptures, you're going to find Jesus. <clears throat> when we read and when we need a word from God, we go to the word of God. We go reverently and God will speak to us. John chapter 7, verse 37. He who believes in Jesus as the scriptures say. What are the scriptures? His word. Who believes in Jesus as the scripture says, rivers of living water will flow through his belly. So without the word, we can't touch Jesus. Without the word, we can't access Jesus. Without the word, we cannot be saved. Without the word, we can't be healed. We need the word of God. In Luke chapter 16, verse 20, Abraham tells the rich man, it's a very interesting scenario, Jesus manifests that in the, in the heavenlies, there's a scenario where there's a rich man in hell. And Abraham is in Abraham's bosom, and he can actually see this man, and the man could see Abraham. And so Abraham told the rich man that to tell, or rather the rich man tells Abraham, could you tell my brothers, please, that this place exists? Could you tell my brothers, please? And you know what Jesus said about that situation? He says, the rich man and his brothers have Moses and the prophets. In other words, they had the word. They didn't listen to the word. And so Jesus said, if they don't listen to the word, even if a dead man were to be resurrected, they won't trust him either. They won't believe him either. And this is why we're getting into so much trouble because we don't believe the word. So since we don't honor God's faithfulness, we don't honor his character, we don't honor each other. We, we can't believe anybody. If you, if you don't believe me, try to go into a contract with somebody. Watch, there's already a back door. Somebody right now, well not now, but Monday through Friday, what do lawyers do? All the time, they're trying to find back doors to agreements. I know you do. Amen. You work very hard. But you know the way law is being challenged now. Even to the White House, laws are being challenged and trying to be changed and shifted because that's who we are. That's what we do. We always try to find the back door. But it comes from a basis of lack of trust. In the old days, Al, you, you know this. You, you, you're a police officer. You're not just a police officer. You're a sergeant, right? No, a a I keep on getting that mis mis mistake. Detective. Right? When we shake hands. Okay, bet we're going to do this? In the old days, when a man and another man or a man or woman or whatever, when we shook hands, what we were actually saying, I trust your character, I trust your integrity, and we come into a contract. And it was a verbal, word is my bond contract. Today they're saying, oh yeah, yeah we're going to do this. Ha, the minute they walked away, they forgot about it, didn't care about it, didn't respect it. God is a God of honor. His word are words of honor. When he speaks to you, he actually means what he says. When we talk to God, do we mean what we say? When we make agreements here in the earth realm, which, by the way, listen to me. I'm about to give you a little revelation here that a lot of people don't know. The Bible says if we treat one of the little ones harshly, it's like if you did it to him. If we visit 
one of his little ones in a, in, in a hospital, it's like we visited him. If we go to the prison and visit one of his little ones in the prison, it's like if we were visiting him in the prison, right? In other words, what we do to others, he takes it personally. So when we dishonor each other, or when we talk behind each other's back, when we disrespect each other, we're disrespecting the body of Christ. And when we disrespect the body of Christ, we're disrespecting Christ himself. And that's how he takes it. Why do you think that when we take the Lord's Supper, there's a part there that says that some people are asleep because they did not respect the body and the word and sick yes yes i'm not getting many amens anymore it's like it's, your face just suddenly got serious on me there was such a joy in the lord in the worship portion of it listen these are hard words but the way we treat each other determines our level of respect to Almighty God. Mm. That's how come when I'm dealing with you, I deal with you as unto the Lord. I have to. I have to because it's as unto the Lord. You are His. You don't, you don't belong to me. You belong to Him. I'm just an under-shepherd. He is the chief shepherd. He's the chief bishop. He's the chief apostle. I answer to Him. And so the way I handle you, the way I work with you, determines my level of authority in the kingdom of God. So we cannot demand authority in the natural realm or in the kingdom of God until we decide to walk in authority. Until we decide to walk in respect, in honor. Mutual respect with each other. Honor his word among us. Because God sees our words. He sees the way we inflect. He sees our attitudes. He's, he sees sometimes our hate, even in the church. Our offense. We walk with offense in the church. Why you think he, when, when we talk about prayer, it says when you stand prayer, when you stand praying, forgive those that have offended you. See, because if you don't forgive those that have committed trespasses against you, I cannot forgive the trespasses you have committed against me. What? So no words you can say, oh, Jesus, forgive me. Amen, glory to God. Hallelujah. Ida can't stand you. I don't like you. Later for you. <laughs> we can't walk that way. There was an analogy or story that Jesus used to share this example. He said that there was this one guy that owed a fortune to his boss. He couldn't pay back. And so the boss put him in prison. So until you pay me back everything you owe. Which I find that impossible because when you're in prison, you can't work. Well, you do work, they just, you, get, you, know, you get chump change. But, see, so the guy goes before the magistrate, and before this owner, he says, forgive me, I'm so sorry. Now, I'll pay you back, but forgive me. The guy goes, welled up with compassion. What does he say? All right, I forgive you, go your way. So he goes happy, you know, goes finds one of his friends that owe him a little, about, a little money. It'll be the equivalent of he owes a million, and his friend owes him 20 bucks. So he goes to his friend, says, you, give me my 20 bucks. I don't have it now. Forgive me. I'll get it back to you, but I just don't have anything now. 
No, you better pay me, otherwise you go to prison. And he sent the guy to prison for 20 bucks or so. I don't know what was the exact exchange of currency in those days. But I, the Bible does say he owed a lot and his co-worker owed a little. And so the guy goes to prison. So all the friends go, hold on a second. Wasn't this the guy that was forgiven that big debt? How come he couldn't forgive his friend that small debt? So they go back to the owner and they say, listen, this guy that you forgave, he put his friend in prison for just a small amount of money. His what? And he got angry at him, called him back into court. He says, you couldn't forgive your friend that little debt, yet I forgave you such a big debt. Get back in prison. And stay there until you pay everything you owe. And when he got there, the Bible says the tormentors continuously tormented him. You haven't got it yet. I'm about to share with you. When we ask God for forgiveness, he is willing to forgive us. But if we ourselves are unwilling to forgive others, you remain in your sin. You remain in your debts and your trespasses. God cannot release you. And then watch this. Listen to this. This is going to get deep. When he went back to prison, he was released to the tormentors. When you walk, when you willingly choose and willfully choose to walk in unforgiveness, there is a torment connected to that. So no matter how normal you try to be, that thing will gnaw at you, it will bother you, it will pester you, it will keep you angry, it will keep you offended, it will keep you uh, at a high level of emotions until you forgive it. Yeah, but he doesn't deserve forgiveness. Well, you don't deserve it either. Yeah, but he, uh, he, 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 he abused me, he hurt me, or he did it, or she stole from me, or whatever it may be. I don't, I, don't, I don't care what it is. Sometimes you have to forgive to release yourself. It's not affirming that criminal or affirming this knucklehead. Let them remain as a knucklehead. You keep your peace. You release it. Now, the Bible does say this. Some people you need to forgive, but stay away from Yeah, yeah. Some people, I'll forgive because I need to be in peace. I'm not going to lose an ounce of sleep. I'm not going to lose not one hair off my head. And at my age, I appreciate all the hair I have. <laughs> For nobody. I'm not going to, I'm sorry. I've got to live in peace. The Bible calls me to walk in love, in peace with, with every man. If at all possible, with every man. And if you don't want to walk with me, you don't like me, you don't appreciate me, I understand. I respect that. I respect that. I know it's impossible for everybody to like me. I don't know why. <laughs> but just not everybody likes me. There's some people that are really, really angry at me. I go, why? Just the way it is. Get over it. And live your life in peace. Because whoever you lose, because they choose not to appreciate who you are and to honor your gifts and who God made you to be, God will raise up 10 other people in their place. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. So in the issue of forgiveness, I remember years ago, we were in a place, um, actually it was, uh, I think in Wales. And I'm listening to these people. They're, they're, They're ministering deliverance and I had to translate for them. They spoke and taught and preached in Spanish only. So I had to translate for them. So they were praying for people and getting people delivered and set free from all different types of emotional issues. But one stuck with me. It was a young lady. She looked to me mid-20s. And she went up for prayer, and the gentleman says, 
What do you need prayer for? He said, I, I, I hate my dad. I can't stand my dad, and I don't want to be that way. It's okay. Why do you hate your dad? Because he mistreats my mother. He said, who told you that? Do you see, his, you see your father mistreat your mother? He says, no. Who told you that? My mother did. So you never saw him do that, but yet your mother told you that he mistreats you. Yes. And because of that, you dislike him. Yes, I'm having a hard problem you know, with that because I love my mother. So, hmm. First mistake, your mother should not have told you her private business. Because now you're carrying a pain you don't need to walk with. It's not yours to carry. Was that, was that, who, who did that? It's true anyhow. See, so what happened, well, then he said this, he said this. He says, you have to forgive your father. But how? I, I don't know how to. By faith. You have to release him right there. First and foremost, does he treat you well? He says, yeah, he treats me well. He says, that's it. The issue that dad and mom had, that's their business. It's not your business. You shouldn't be carrying that. You should be at peace with both of them. Right? So we prayed, and this, this young lady was gloriously delivered. And you should have seen her face. She was angry at the end of the prayer and all that time. She became happy again. But she was carrying something that she shouldn't have had to carry. That's how come it's important that you watch the things you say in your family, among your children. Some of you have to repent and tell your children, listen, I'm sorry, you know, or, or, or at least change the narrative into a positive narrative, right? And with your friends, maybe, maybe you, by saying one thing about a friend of yours, destroy the relationship. We have to be very careful about that and not allow this anger and this offense to not only be in your heart, but also you pass it on to others. Dangerous situation. Dangerous. Hallelujah. There was this, this one man, he was in his 70s, and he went for prayer, and he says, I, I need prayer. I, I've had a bad situation. I, I can't stand my friend. I, I just can't get over what he did. Wow. And you should, you should see his face. He was angry, and he was in pain. And, and the guy says, uh, when did this happen? He says, 50 years ago. Did you hear what I said? For 50 years, he had been carrying that offense, and the offense never went away. Unforgiveness is powerful. It's a lot more powerful than what people realize. You got to handle your stuff. Get, get, get away from that stuff. That stuff is toxic. It'll get you sick on the inside. And they prayed for him, and he was gloriously delivered. But the fact of the matter is that for 50 years, he could not let go of the offense. It was still plain to him the pain that moment as it was 50 years ago. You could see his face contort in anger and, and offense. It doesn't go away. You can't hide it. It'll always be there. It'll always be that 800-pound animal in the room. It'll never go away. Sometimes you see these commercials where the lady's having a gastric issue. And there's like a, 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 a physical stomach walking, you know. It never goes away. It's always with you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a, they're kind of funny, the commercials, you know. They're making a point, though. So, you know, when we, when we go to Scripture, Scripture will rebuke us. Scripture will correct us. Strict, scripture will show you things like... Like an onion. You know an onion? It's peeled layer by layer. 
When you go to, Ho to Holy Spirit, you say, Holy Spirit, I want you to show me the areas that I need help in. You know what's going to happen? God's going to start to show you. But he won't show you everything. Because he if he shows you everything one shot, you'll be devastated. At how many issues you have to deal with. But God is patient with you. He'll let you deal with it one thing at a time. One issue at a time. So don't ever be in a rush in your, in your life. Just cooperate with the Holy Spirit. When you go to his word, he's going to start showing things about yourself, things about your family, things about your future, things about your purpose. Praise God. The Bible says, be doers of the word. Be doers of the word. James 1.21, therefore lay aside. See, we have to lay it aside. God's not going to lay it aside for us. Lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. John 14, 23. Jesus answered them and said to them, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him and we will make, we will come to him and make our home with him. And that's the last verse I'm going to read. I'm going to read it again because you didn't hear it. John 14, 23. I'm going to read it one more time. Jesus answered and said to them, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Because if you're keeping God's word, see, you're honoring Jesus himself. You're honoring Almighty God. God and his word are one. It says, He will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. You want a relationship with God? Honor his word. Abide in his word. He says, my words abide in you. You will ask anything. It will be given to you. It always goes back to the word. So that, that first revelation we need to catch as Christians is we need to get back to God's word. And the word there, the living word, said, if you honor my word, I will make my home with you or in you. The Father and I will come to you and make our home with you. So Jesus is the most important thing. The most important revelation. That's why we need to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. Because he's the living word. And when we trust him and when we believe him, right, and we ask forgiveness... Basically, what he does is he goes to the court of heaven and draws up a document, right? And this document, amazingly enough, is an adoption. What Almighty God does, drafts a document, puts your name on it. I adopt this person into my family. Oh, my God. Amen. So it's not about religion. This has nothing to do with religion. It's a personal relationship. How beautiful it is when a child who has no father or mother is waiting for adoption. Finally, that couple comes in. He says, we want that boy. And after months of paperwork, sometimes even years, that, that family, that new family comes together. And that boy says, finally, I belong somewhere. When we come to Jesus in the heavenlies, the Bible says this, the Holy Spirit seals us for the day of redemption. We are sealed. The Spirit of God declares, you are mine. 
And the, and the enemy cannot touch you. He cannot take away what God gave you through adoption. The adopted child has the same right as a natural born child because he's legally adopted. And God says, I will be a father to you. You shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord. It's in Christ, in the living word. That's why it's so important to come to Jesus. Because what you're doing is you're honoring the request of Almighty God. He says, I want to adopt you in my family. Here are the steps. What the world says, I don't care about your steps. We want to do it our way. And we go get a rock somewhere. And when we think that if we meditate enough, somehow or another, the, the, the stone will give us eternal life. Or it will give us wisdom. Or it will give us energy. The stone has no power in it. Or we get statues. You know, many of us have statues. In all different religions have statues. And they pray to these statues. And you know what the scripture says? These statues have no power in them. Because they're not even alive. But Jesus is alive. Amen. So that's why when we come to him, he's able to make this happen. And it's legal. It's right. It's respected in the law of the land, in the kingdom of God, and it's, re it's respected in the heavenlies. When you receive Jesus, even the devil and his cohorts have to respect that. Oh, yeah, and they flee, exactly. But they have to respect that. I remember one time in, in the New Testament, there was these guys casting out devils in the name of Jesus that Paul preached. And, and the devils in that man says, who are you guys? We're the seven sons of Sceva, and we're casting you out in the name of Jesus that Paul preaches. He says, we know Paul, and we certainly know who Jesus is. Who are you guys? And those guys were beat up. They were overwhelmed by the demonic presence, and they had to run away. You know why? They were not recognized in heaven. They had not come to Jesus. They had not gone through the adoption process. They had not given their lives to God. They just wanted the authority without any responsibility. And that's what's lacking in our day. It's the responsibility of relationship. Yeah, we'll shack up together, but you know, the, the first chance, if there's a problem here, I'm out of here. Right? We, we don't want to commit today. This generation is full of people that do not want to commit. God doesn't shack up. He only marries. Yeah. Hallelujah. He's a covenant God. He says, I give all of myself to you, but I demand the same back. Amen. You want to be my son, my daughter? Here is the prescribed way. It's through Jesus. Amen. Well, there are many ways to God. No, it's Jesus. Amen. Well, uh, who told you that? The scriptures. Amen. Well, what are the scriptures? God's word. Man wrote it. No, God inspired men to write, but it's God's word himself. Hallelujah. Amen. So even though we have men listening to God, and maybe they might have penned it, but it was Almighty God's heart, is His intent, is His promise to us, it is His word. And His word is bond. Amen? So if that's you, and, and now you might have heard it in a different way. You say, oh, yeah, I, I need Jesus. Why? Because you need to become family. You, you, you need your own relationship with God. You can't be saved through mama's faith or daddy's faith, or uncle or aunt's faith. It has to be your own faith. Every man, the Bible says, every knee shall bow 
every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. The problem is that many people are going to confess that Jesus is Lord after they're on the other side. When they realize, oh my God, the one that I rejected happens to be the Lord of all. But then it's too late. This is the time where we have the opportunity. Because, see, we're not automatons. We are free will. What's the word? We can freely think. God made us to be individuals that can think for themselves, that can make decisions for themselves. And God is looking. He created a race of beings that can freely worship him, that can freely have a relationship with him. That's what he's looking for. Hallelujah. And so when we freely go to God, he says, I choose to be family. I choose to receive you as Lord and Savior. He takes you. He says, this is what I was looking for. The enemy comes and says, they'll never do that. And God says, yes, they will. I trust them. They're going to do that. And you might be at that crossroad right now. And God might be telling you right now, it's time. I've been calling you. You've been sensing it. But it's time. Praise God. So bow your heads with me. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the living word. Thank you for the written word. Thank you for your character, your nature, your faithfulness. Thank you for who you are. And thank you for the privilege that you've given us to be able to come to saving faith in Christ. To be able, Lord God, to trust you for salvation. Thank you. Thank you for all that you've done today, Lord God, and the, the new family we have in Christ here. For the new members, Lord, I thank you. Thank you for the privilege that we were able to worship you together as your family. But now I pray for those that are here that might not have made that decision yet. That might not have said, Jesus, come into my heart. I make you my Lord, my Savior. I want to be a part of your family. I pray for those that you would open up the eyes of their understanding. That they might see that this is not about religion. It's about relationship. So Lord, I pray that you open up the eyes of their understanding. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed. If that's you. If God is saying that to you. I want you to come up here. I want you to come a moment. I want to pray with you. Jesus said, if you're not ashamed of me in the presence of men, I will not be ashamed of presenting you before my Father and the angels. And then he said this, if you're ashamed of me among men, I will be ashamed to present you before my Father and before the angels. Wow. At age 15, I said, Jesus, come into my heart. At age 15, I said, I don't want to live this life alone. I want to walk with you. And after all these years, I look back. I say, wow, thank you, Lord, for the best decision I ever made. Because God's been good to me all those years. And all these years, he's been with me. And all these years, I've been able to walk as a child of God. As a child of the king. And if I'm a child of the king, that makes me a prince. So he shifted my life. He shifted my future. He shifted my eternity. Hallelujah. 